Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, and welcome back, or welcome here, if this is your first time to the She Built This podcast. Really super duper quick and dirty on me. For those of you who are here for the first time, as I said in the introduction, I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and I'm the owner and founder of She Built This. I'm also a content writer, and what I like to do with this podcast is a little mix of inspiring stories from women entrepreneurs as well as those who stand by their side and support them. I like to share marketing and writing tips that you can use and put into action, education, inspiration, and sometimes just some good old-fashioned chit-chat from me. So if you're wondering what She Built This is, it's a community of women entrepreneurs and professionals, kind of like the real deal, authentic human beings who are committed to sharing the ups, the downs, the stops, the restarts, the smiles, the tears, you get the idea. All the emotional highs and lows that go along with making our dreams happen. We are a network of over 1,400 women globally, and for those of us who who do like a little more of a cozy knit spot to hang out, there's also a She Built This VIP community, which has member perks, and more of those are going to be on the way too. And the, that community really helps to take out that feeling of overwhelm, loneliness, and just in general, the sense that you're doing this all alone. I think the best way to explain it is probably using the words of our members who recently took some time to give me some really great feedback on the VIP group. They shared what they love about the group and they said it's a supportive community of like-minded people who are there to both give and receive. It's a safe place to throw ideas around, get feedback, grow, learn, and collaborate. And they love that it's a place that they can belong with great people that feels welcoming and supportive. So that there you have it. That is VIP and that is She Built This in a nutshell. And the reason I've been sharing so much about She Built This and the VIP group on the podcast intros recently is because I'm preparing for a relaunch of the VIP group and the price is going to go up on September 1st. So I highly encourage you to get in while the getting is good, as they say. The price right now is $250 a year or $25 a month if you prefer a monthly option and that is going up as I said, September 1st. Next week, I'm going to be here, same bat time, same bat place, same bat podcast channel to talk all about collaborations and how to make sure that collaborations go well for both parties involved. And then I have some really good stuff in store for you on the podcast in the month of August. I'm going to be talking to people I've collaborated with for recently, and those who are also making a change in the world in how they collaborate with others. Speaking of collaborations, in today's episode, I'm chatting with two guests, Hollis McGuire and Tammy Jordan, and we're talking about empathy, sensitivity, and hypervigilance when it comes to the workplace and being an entrepreneur. So we're going to go over some of the unique challenges, but also the gifts in being an an empath or a sensitive person when you're an entrepreneur or in a position of leadership. So to name a few of the things you can find yourself navigating, not charging your worth, undervaluing yourself and your time, um, struggling when faced with client pushback, client complaints, scope creep, or how about this? What happens when someone wants to work with you, but they can't afford it? What do you do then? So all of these examples of situations affect both you as an entrepreneur and your business bottom line, as well as other people in your life. And we're going to get into the why of that too. We also discuss some of the ways that we can navigate when you are the kind of person that feels all the things. And so if you consider yourself a sensitive person, an empath, or as Tammy is going to explain, a hypervigilant 
Um, you're definitely going to want to hear some of the tools and strategies that they share to help with some of some just to make things a little bit um, more smooth and easy for you as an entrepreneur or professional. And for the purpose of definition for this podcast only, I am definitely not an expert in this area. That's why I'm chatting with both of these ladies, both of whom identify one way or the other, um, or both. And there are a pretty, there's a pretty big range of definitions as to what exactly the difference is between a sensitive individual and an empathic individual. And apologies if I'm using any of the wrong language. Again, I am not an expert. Um, I definitely invite you to research and explore some of it for yourself if the topic piques your interest. And if at the end of this episode, you want to learn more. But here is a very quick, not thorough breakdown. Um, Sensitive people typically tend to have a low threshold for stimulation. So they they prefer to spend a lot of their time alone when recharging. They might find themselves sensitive to light, sound, smell, large groups, temperature, texture, energy, and and a number of other things. Um, And it usually does take a sensitive person longer to wind down after a busy day or to transition from one person, one, one setting to another. Empaths share many of these traits with sensitive people. They have a strong desire to help others and can find themselves taking on the energy of others as well as the environment that they're in and tend to really experience that in a very deep way. A lot of times, empaths can feel the pain of other people so vividly that they might have trouble differentiating someone else's discomfort or anxiety um, from their own. Now, being one or the other, they're not mutually exclusive. You can be both. And Tammy and Hollis are going to do a great job explaining both of these. So without further ado, let's dive in and hear what these ladies have to share in my conversation with them. Hollis McGuire is a certified public accountant and certified business advisor with a master's degree in finance. She's worked with over 1,000 businesses in every stage of development from idea to capital raise to maturity, to exit. She helps businesses in the pre-revenue stage all the way to $150 million in annual sales stage. Um, She's assisted clients in debt and capital raises of over $150 million, and she's an empath as well as a business intuitive. Tammy Jordan is the founder and chief empowerment officer of Leader Consulting Group. She's an author, speaker, coach, and consultant in many things from HR, organizational development, and personal development. She works with business owners and executives in defining their unique culture, hiring and promoting the best talent, developing and training agile and authentic leaders and teams, and managing growth and change. All right, let's get to this interview, shall we? Hi, Hollis and Tammy, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, So let's kind of dive in. And Hollis, I'd love for you to kind of share where some of the idea came from to do the podcast, because you sort of presented me with this topic idea, and I was I was all for it as soon as I heard you say it. People in She Built This were talking around it and it seemed to, it needed to be addressed directly. So that's why I suggested it. Yeah. And and maybe tell what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about being an empath and being a business owner and how those two intersect Right. And so I think, you know, I think that this is a term that's used a lot. And I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think sometimes that there is a little bit of confusion between being a sensitive person and being an empath. And I'd love to hear both of your thoughts. Um, But let's start by each of you sharing in your own words or experience what being an empath really is and means. I can go first Um, and not to add, I'm going to add a category, which, you know, I was saying at the beginning, this is, this could be, or offline before we started, this could be like a, you know, a multi-hour series on empaths and challenges with business. But I'm going to add another category, which is um, hypervigilance. 
And hypervigilance is a state that's like a um, either post-traumatic, meaning there was a situation either as a child or in a bad relationship or so oftentimes with a narcissist where, and I, I always considered myself an empath. So that this is where my research started. And I actually realized that my response was less of being an empath and more of a hypervigilant state where I tend to survive. Um, my ability to survive as a child was conditioned on do I, can I feel the room? I need to feel what the emotions are of everyone in the room in order to manage the energy and to protect myself. So then I kind of moved from that to taking on people's energy. So if I think of, and again, I think that's a different response than your uh, other definition of an empath. But if we go back to that hyper um, or highly sensitive person versus empath, um, I think the difference is sensitive people feel things, but they don't always take it on. And what I mean by taking it on is they don't um, feel necessarily so deeply uh, the same emotion that they are picking up from somebody else. Where an empath, I think, actually takes it on. They, they, they feel it. They, they embody it. And that can be a great asset, but it can also be a huge liability, especially in regard to conflict negotiations, um, staying grounded in oneself and upholding one's boundaries. And of course, yeah. I think that hypervigilance was a great category to add. Um, and I, and I have heard, I don't, I am not an expert in this area, but I have heard that, um, these specific tendencies often do come from a place of having to survive as a child. So I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting lens to look at it through. Um, Hollis, I'm curious to hear your thoughts in your own words and experience of what an empath is. And maybe if you, if you also feel that there's a differentiation between being sensitive and being empathic. Wow. Um, I had never thought about the hypervigilance. That's not me. I am a plain vanilla empath and, uh, I pulled up health lines, 15 signs you might be an empath. Every single one. I mean, it's as if they are describing me to a T. Now, when I was a, a child, and this was way before you two, um, the word wasn't in use at all. I was called a sensitive child. So I didn't even run into the word empath until much later, but it was like a great big aha because I'm not hypervigilant, but absolutely, I have all the traits of being an empath. And in business, there's an upside, which we're going to talk about the upside. And then there's a harder side. Yeah. And I think we want to, I think we want to start and talk about the upside because you're so right. Like we can see both sides of the coin on this, but the fact of the matter is it is a, it is a benefit to you as a person. Um, so let's talk about some of the pros of, so, so just to like kind of bring clarity for both of you and for the listener, I wouldn't consider myself an empath, but I would consider myself kind of like exactly what Tammy said. Like I can feel things, but I don't necessarily take them on for myself. Um, it, I'm usually more sensitive when it comes to someone like directly saying something to me or about me, then it's like very sensitive, if that makes sense. Um, but I don't take on other people's emotions or I don't tend to, I should say. So let's, that's just like clarity for everybody. So we kind of all know what we are. Um, and then let's talk about some of the pros, like what we see as some of the benefits of being this way. I think for me, you know, in the business world, I teach leaders. Um, that's what I do, leadership development, coaching. And so I'm immersed in the emotional intelligence competency models, uh, Dan Goldman's work. And one of the things we've seen, you know, hands down is that leadership is your leadership abilities are completely capped out if your emotional intelligence is low. And empathy is one of the largest categories, um, one of the, the I guess, groupings. Um, there's around uh, self-awareness, um, relationship management, social awareness, 
and self-management. So empathy falls into the social awareness um, and then relationship management component. If you don't understand, to some extent, whether it's cognitively, because you can have cognitive empathy, uh, you can also have emotional empathy. If you don't meet people where they are as a manager, as a leader, and really try to understand them in both contexts, um, you're not going to resonate uh, in, in leading people to a desired outcome. So I think the huge advantage, if you, you are empathic, is your ability to connect with others, right? And for them to feel authentically connected to you. And that care and concern and compassion really moves people forward in all team initiatives and all business outcomes. Yeah, I think that self-awareness and social awareness is is so important and a huge pro. And I also think that having that ability to see others, it, it allows you to give them grace and just a deeper level of understanding that somebody else might not, you know, we all know those people that are like very cold and don't give you any <laughs> anything as far as understanding. Um so that was really that was really well said. What do you think, Hollis? I come from the cold professions. Um, I'm an accountant by training. I have a master's degree in finance. I ran a tax practice for many years. How many people think of their accountant as an empath? Very few. And there are very few of them. And that has been a huge, wonderful thing. Because I listen better and I, I think empaths actually hear more because they hear if someone's nodding their head yes, but energetically they're saying no, you've got a disconnect and you're going to be able to work with that. So you can see your clients through a very wide lens you can read their energy patterns. You, you can get very creative and problem solving. It's an incredible business tool for any business owner to have. And I think you can be able to ask them better questions that help them to to bring things up and and clearer for themselves too. Like you're, I, I mean, just speaking from a personal experience with Hollis, she's really good at exactly lasering in on what she sees that you're feeling and then can ask you better questions so that you can better understand how you're feeling, um, which I think is a huge advantage. So let's now talk about some of the challenges that empaths and sensitive people might face and, and hypervigilant may face as business owners and entrepreneurs because we're in this world where we need to manage not our not only our own energy, but also we deal with a lot of other clients' energy and having to set pricing. And there's a lot that goes into when you're feeling too much and absorbing too much and how that affects your business. So let's um, dive right in and talk about some of those things. Sure. Um, I, th I think the number one thing that comes up for me is, and interestingly, I've, I've been in a program right now called Positive Intelligence, the PQ program. And it's a, it's a coaching training program, but um, the founder of it, he talks about our saboteurs um, and there, he has 10 of them, but you know, some of them is the, the judge, the hyperachiever, you know, the pleaser, the, yeah. And all of those saboteurs, I think when you are so empathic, they can creep in and because we all have them, right? But they creep in, and when you're you start to, to the confidence, you start to question yourself, right? Or they can they can run amok, if you will, if you don't know uh, what they are, how they how they like to play with you, would talk to you, mess with your brain, um, and you can easily get lost. Uh, I think so. So things like, you, especially in the coaching world, right? Someone will call, and, and they have a clear need; they need help. And you feel them so deeply and you want to help them, but they, you know, they don't have money or they don't have enough money. And then you start thinking, oh, I'm going to, but I, you know, maybe I'll do this or maybe I'll do that to help them out. And before you know it, you've got, you know, 15 clients, you're not getting paid. You're not there, you know, you're feeling burnt out and you don't even know how you got there. And I, I think because of your willingness to help. And so I think, you know, an empath 
in business without very clear boundaries and very clear rigid expectations, scope, responsibilities in order for peace of mind can be a very dangerous thing, um, especially in regard to your business um, security and your peace of mind. Yeah. And I think um, like when it comes to dealing also with client complaints, that's something where you could easily, uh, let's say, buck and and be kind of like, well, I just want to make this person happy. And so dealing with complaints is like nearly impossible because that should be a compromising situation when instead of compromising, you're just like giving away all your power to make the other person happy. Um, the other one that you brought up was, yeah, not charging your worth and undervaluing yourself, which is, and then you just like took it right to burnout, which is so where we go with that. <laughs> um, and it's so true because you just, again, it's like this, it's a, a management technique of wanting other people to feel good and helping other people. So I, I actually did this, um, people pleasing versus helping podcasts and it it's kind of like the same concept is we there is a difference between people pleasing and between helping and helping doesn't put you out you know what I mean like helping fuels both parties and so I think that's a really clear distinction that we need to make for ourselves 100% yes um Hollis I'm curious to know if you experience or well either of you but if you experience a like okay so if it's if it's difficult to do something when it feels like it's not in alignment because you feel that misalignment so much more strongly oh yes I I want to jump back to something you said and recognize what an empath can do to put a positive spin on it you did mention that when a client's not happy, you you want to you want to please. The good part about being an empath is you can recognize that discontent sooner in your clients than I think most people can, and you can adapt to it. It's really uncomfortable recognizing discontent in clients, and it's a very valuable entrepreneurial skill. And if an empath can harness that, then instead of going into pleasing mode, they can own the path forward in a really positive way. So for every single thing that's a challenge, if we can put a positive spin on it, then we can be in control of a good outcome. Okay, let's put a positive spin on not charging enough, not charging enough and undervaluing yourself. <laughs> that, that I wrote down the word ironclad boundaries about four times in my notes. And Tammy's brought that up several times as well. Without ironclad boundaries, the empath can get bulldozed and will get bulldozed. And that applies in negotiation. It applies in pricing. It applies in scope creep. It applies in all kinds of ways. Yep. And and being protective, I think of maybe the way that you do things. So for example, there are people who like can't do a Zoom meeting every single day of the week. You know what I mean? With and maybe not with particular people. So it's just like being very clear about even the way that you conduct. And some people like, well, all of us, we shouldn't let people have access to to texting us and emailing us and, and voice messaging us 24-7. You know, like we need to have clear, clear times when those things are turned off, I think. And that's another, just like another boundary that we need to create to kind of separate yourself from constantly bringing in all that other energy. And that goes for everything. The times that we have to think things through. I guess that's where hypervigilance comes in. We have to think things through. When is our energy higher? When is it lower? Now, everybody's ebbs and flows, but maybe we're more aware of it. And what times do we need to protect for ourselves? And what times do we need so that we isolate? When I was running a group many, many years ago, 
I had two hours every day. This was when I was in an office. Again, this was decades ago. And I had a bunch of people working for me. And I had two hours every day where nobody was to interrupt me. (laughs) And apparently that was kind of radical back then. I'm talking the 80s now. And it worked. But figuring out what works has to come from us, from our core. And now with everyone being able to access people 24-7, we have to work extra hard at it. Yeah, and they sort of know. They're like, well, you're just at home. Like, (laughs) I know you're not anywhere. Yeah, that's a really good point, Hollis, that everyone is so on now that it's kind of, I mean, like we need to start that revolution over again where it's, I'm, I'm inaccessible today. I'm inaccessible for a big part of every single day. I'm the one that's important here. I count. I'm a valuable resource. And if you want to access me, depending on what business I'm in, there's a value there. And that gets back to how we don't undercharge. So I'd love to hear how you both work with, like, I guess I'm curious to hear if this comes up a lot for the clients that you both work with and how you sort of begin helping people to navigate and make the changes that they need to to advocate for themselves? It comes up very often um, for both. And I guess I can talk to two points. Um, To go back just a little bit, I I do think that I love the word ironclad, um, Hollis, because it really is like you Sometimes you go back to old patterns where if you don't hold that ironclad thought where you start with an inch and the, you know, the, uh, the boundary creep with yourself can happen <laughs> where you, you know, again, you start with an inch and then before you know it, your, your two hours of sacred time is now down to like 10 minutes. Um, so you really have to be diligent. You have to have a practice. Um, and the, where I started is, is not, and I see this with my clients, where I started in regard to the rationale is not where I ended up or where I am now. So for example, some people where they start is I try to explain to them that, you know, when you take on too many things or you don't have those ironclad boundaries or expectations or very defined scope creep, what happens is that you don't serve the people that you've committed to well either. And when you start to, for, for a lot of empaths, when you flip the switch, you know, at the beginning, because it is always about you, but it's easier for people to have that access point about, oh, you're right. Like if I'm burnt out, I can't, I can't help anybody, right? It's the fill your bucket concept, right? You got to, or, you know, the, your oxygen mask, you got to put that on before you put, and if you hold that to be true, it's, it's necessary that you protect your energy. It's necessary because what you're doing is so dang important that you cannot falter in regard to your oxygen mask, but you have to know yourself. And so I think that's the first part of the process is knowing what fills you for energy and what zaps you for energy, what people fill you for energy and what some people, there was a metaphor somebody told me years ago and this isn't completely true, but um, meaning it's a simplistic model, but it, it does help people visualize is that some people, if you think about how they interact with others in a day, some people have like a jar of marbles and with every interaction, they take out marbles. <laughs> and then, so if they've had, you know, uh, 40 interactions with people by one o'clock in the afternoon, they're done, right? The, their marbles are all gone. They've gotten, they, so they're empty and they need to have time with themselves to refill and then there's other people that go around, you know, how many marbles can I get? If my, if my jar is, is overwhelming with marbles, it's, I get the most energy in the world, right? I mean, that's your typical introvert, extrovert. I think most of us are somewhere in between. The point with that is, is like, if you're depleted, you've got to have that time out and you've got to know yourself so well that you've got to go back to the drawing board and refill or get that oxygen. And you got to have things in place that make you filled, you know, fill yourself up. Like for me, it's, it's creative time, whether that's working on a PowerPoint or art, or I need to have that time to, to feel like I'm alive again. And, you know, on the flip side, if I do too many proposals, I feel like I'm, you know, just, (laughs) just drained. 
Uh, so knowing those things. And so I guess the first step is really knowing thyself and then figuring out how to put a plan in place. And I think it's important to realize that you're right. It's it's so important what you're doing that you can't you can't falter on filling your cup. But I think it's also important to realize that that's not just affecting your client relationships and how you show up for your clients and in your professional world. It also ripples out to our personal lives and how we interact with how much energy we have at the end of the day for our spouse and our family and our children. So it's kind of like this whole, like you're doing it for you. You're doing it for your clients that you're showing, that you've committed to showing up for that are paying you. And you're also doing it for the people in your life that you love and care about. Absolutely. And, you know, the concept, I think COVID has shown us this, the concept of, you know, work life or segmentation. And I, I, I think women have felt this longer. And again, that's a broad statement in gender, but I, I do think it's the case um, that, you know, there is no segmentation, like, especially for small business owners, like life is work, work is life. I mean, it, to think that we could compartmentalize is, is just ridiculous. Um, we carry all of ourselves everywhere. And, and so guarding your energy is, in my mind, guarding my energy is my number one priority. I've worked with a huge number of businesses, well over a thousand, and it is very difficult for men, women, empaths, not empaths, whatever, to compartmentalize when one is a small business owner. Everything fights to get commingled. And it takes a lot of energy to separate. And it's really important to take that energy, some of that energy, and make sure that we can separate parts of ourselves as much as possible. It, it Sometimes I think of like resting almost is like a muscle because it's so easy for us to like, honestly, I mean, I, I'm sure you two feel this way too, but it's very easy for me to be productive and to work. But like resting and giving time and space for myself doesn't come naturally. And so that's actually like exactly like Hala said, like sometimes that takes energy to just like make that space. Um, but it's well, well worth it. And over time, I think as you work that muscle and become more okay with it and comfortable and used to it, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And then it takes less energy and like it basically you're just uh, putting into place the practice of filling up your cup even more. Tammy, I'm curious to know what step you you take with people after know thyself it's the habits the habits and the the planning and i would say probably the way that we figure those things out are the what i would call critical incidences they're the opportunity the thing that i've found is that when people start identifying this and wanting to change, whatever that is, right? Okay, I um, I notice that I tend to start out strong in negotiation with my proposal. And then before you know it, the other person's got me down, you know, <laughs> keeps wearing at me and, I, and I'm, I'm down to nothing, uh, you know, of, of what, what I charge. Um, so if that's the situation when we start working on it, it's, okay, what happens in that situation? What goes through your brain? Um, what is the saboteur trying to tell you or what, you know, what are all those voices? What are you feeling? Um, and so really kind of working on that critical incident and then changing the narrative or trying to stay in control of the narrative um, and having their reasons for why, right? Like if, if, if I don't stay strong in this, cause it's really also about addressing fear, past patterns, um, What's the, I guess, the long-term script, meaning how did, how did you get here? Meaning everyone has a, a script from before of, or a belief system of why they're believing this to be true. So looking at those critical incidences and then starting to make shifts, new, new patterns of behavior, new ideas, um, and, and really coaching others through that process. 
Um, but I've seen people do it themselves, right? They just, they write that list. They say this time with this new contract, I am not going to budge, <laughs> even if it takes, because again, for some people in that particular situation, it's the, well, they're going to say no. Okay. They're going to say no. Right. So addressing the worst case scenario in their mind and still being okay with it. And usually I've seen when you start to work on it, an opportunity arises, meaning there will be a, something that will happen and it'll give you the opportunity to, to change. Yeah. So you're kind of, it, let me, don't let me put words in your mouth, but you're kind of saying like when the situations pop up that you are not charging your worth, when you're dealing with a client pushback, when you're dealing with scope creep, when you're dealing with um, complaints in those, in those moments, you are kind of saying like, okay ground yourself and and hold your you know hold to what boundaries you've set and then start asking yourself the deeper questions like how did I get here and what's going to be the new story going forward and I love the idea of coaching yourself because so fortunately I think a lot of us have a lot of other entrepreneurial um, friends and people that can act as our sounding board that say like, no, it's okay if they say no. And it's okay to set your price as that. And even if it, even if that's not the client for you, somebody else will come in behind them and, and be the client for you. But I love the idea of practicing that with yourself too, because I mean, that's where the real work needs to take place. So did I, do you feel like I summed yeah. that up, what you were saying? Yes. And building the systems or the Self-talk, you know, coaching yourself is self-talk. You know, I, I sometimes if I, if I, if someone could record what's in my head, it, it probably sounds um, all over the place, but there are times, even I do it, no, ma- and no matter how hard sometimes you work on things, your, your demons or your, the things that you work so hard to change, they creep up everywhere. And so when they do, I, I think Brene Brown used the word in regard to gremlins, right? You shine a light on them. So now when they do, instead of like beating myself up or or taking it on too much of myself, I just shine a light and say, I see you. I see what you're doing here and I'm not going to do it. Right. And so that self-coaching is so critical because yes. um, And I am a firm believer in, in the coaching process, but at the end of the day, your, yourself is what you'll always have. Hollis, do you have anything to add to that? (sighs) You you had asked you had asked Tammy what steps do you take with people after know thyself, and I guess I feel very um, because my work is cold <laughs> in its um, in its precise form. I use those functions as the steps I take to build a plan with whomever I'm working with. So whether it's accounting or finance or management or marketing or whatever, I can use those as the framework. And then it's through the listening that I can hear the other stuff, the soft stuff, the important stuff to the human that I'm speaking with. So I guess I could say I use it as a crutch, or I guess I could say I use it as a tool but it's very um, reassuring to be able to have those tools. Do you okay? So let's let's talk about some like really practical, tangible ways that we can make ourselves. I, I don't think cope is the right word. I, I know I wrote this down in a question to you, um, but just how we can like move with ease through the world and in our businesses with these tendencies, some like, like things that people can start implementing and putting into place right away. One of the things that I wrote down was we can, we can certainly limit exposure to the most difficult environments that we encounter. And we don't have to go into every place that is a lion's den So that's one thing we can also surround. We have to surround ourselves with a supportive team, whether it's friend, family, advisors, groups, even key employees, if we have employees, because we need a supportive team to help us maintain our boundaries and to stay on course. So those are early things that we can do. 
Yeah. Another early thing is trust, trusting your gut, trusting your instinct. Um, one of the examples that happens all the time in business is when I'm working with managers, hiring managers. After an employee doesn't work out, um, they I'll ask them, did, did you know? Did you know early? Nine times out of 10, they will say, oh, the writing was on the wall. Um, I knew that I knew, but I didn't listen because I just wanted that position filled. I just needed a body. Um, I use that example because especially with people sometimes or clients, if you're you're self-employed, especially if you feel like you need the money and you're starting your business, people sometimes don't listen to that gut instinct. So when Hollis said, you know, don't go into the lion's den, you'll feel that client being like, oh gosh, this is going to be a disaster before it even gets started, but you'll still go into the lion's den, right? And I did that a, a couple of times. I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, I, I don't listen to myself or I cherry pick the data be, or I cherry pick what I want to see. And so now I'm, I'm I really, if I've got a bad feeling, I just don't do it. And I don't question it. I just listen. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And Tammy, I've been there probably more times than I can count, which is, it's like every single time I, I brought myself there, I'm like, why? Like, I've learned this lesson. Why must I keep teaching myself this lesson? But as I've gone, even through lean times when I'm like, I really do need that money, I do need that client, I've given myself more permission to say no. Like, it doesn't feel right, and it doesn't feel right for a reason, and I'm not going to do it. And as I, I've noticed, and I would be curious to hear if you feel the same, but I've noticed that as I do that and and keep those small little tiny promises to myself, um, there's almost always someone waiting behind that person that you, like it's an opportunity that A, you wouldn't have probably gotten because you said yes to something else that wasn't right. And B, it usually is better than the other opportunity to begin with. 100%. I, I, it's almost like in those cases for me, and I can't speak, or it, it has happened to some of my clients too, it's been serendipitous. There's been almost a, the universe saying, you passed the test. <laughs> um, you know, Congratulations, here's the right person. When you're clear about what you want, again, it goes back to that alignment, but I think the liability in being an empath, if you feel things, if you get someone that's not truly positively motivated, right? We could go down the narcissist road or we could go into some of the other behaviors that, that some people have. They can manipulate your energy. They're very good at doing that to empaths. And so they can come in hook, line and sinker and you are like, wow, this is great. You know, pause. If someone sounds, it's, you know, it's everything that your parents, you know, or, or you know, your grandparents or, or um, your mentor said, if it's too good to be true or something doesn't feel right, chances are it's not, you know? <laughs> so again, taking and taking time. I think the other thing I do with like corporate clients, some, like engineers, engineers are very cerebral. And I said, why do we make decisions the day of the meeting? I said, this is, this doesn't work out for you. Meaning they would have team dynamic problems because the day after the meeting where they made the decision, you know, two or three people would come back and say, you know, I thought about it overnight and I don't think that's the right decision. Set up your processes and systems for the way that you think, for the way that you work. And so if you know that you've got a lot of people that take time to process and really absorb information and say, okay, this is how it's going to work, present the information in a meeting, you know, at two o'clock on a, on a Tuesday, but let's, let's pull together for a 20 minute you know, quick debrief and see where we are to make the final decision on Wednesday morning at nine. You know, like it's okay to structure things the way that you need to structure them and to make sure that your clients are clear around that. Say, I don't make decisions in that moment. I love this. And I don't know how many times like I've had a you know, like let's say a conversation over Voxer where somebody wants like immediate 
input or feedback and it takes me time to like go away and like really think it through and also not you know sometimes you're doing things while you're distracted and you have two things going on in your brain at one time and so I love that like not just coming right back with something you get time we all get time and maybe and maybe it's a matter if it makes you feel better I guess it's a matter of just being clear with I need to think about that overnight Or I need to think about that until next week. You know, let me circle back with you next week. If you just need to say that to make yourself like have that permission, I think that's so good. Like that point alone. (laughs) Yeah, and that's that's the boundary, right? And and telling your clients, I am better. Believe me, I will give you a better product. You've got to give me time because that's what I need. That's that's who I am. That's what, why I deliver what I deliver, whatever it is. It's just being clear and upfront that that's how you work. I think most conflict happens when things aren't clear. Right. And so I, I'm, I'm very clear with people that I'm, I tend to respond, um, but I don't tend to solve quickly. Right. I can, I'll respond quickly, but that doesn't mean I'm going to solve anything quickly. Um, And that's because, you know, again, things are complex and there's a lot of moving pieces to things. And that's okay. I think that's the other, you know, to carve that space out, whether that's in your, in your, you know, in your niche, in your, in your area, um, because the right people will find you. The, The right people that value that about you or value that that's what you're delivering, they'll find you. I had to laugh when you spoke about engineers. I've worked with so many engineers and they're so fascinating and they just process things a whole different way. And uh, <laughs> yes, um, there is they an do. exception to, to deciding, not deciding. I mean, it's, it's, it's very individual. Some people do a lot of processing up front and then they decide very quickly it looks like they decide very quickly and yet they've de- they've decided very slowly and that's one of the things that an empath can pick up on perhaps they've been talking about something for a year and then they made a very quick decision totally based on what they've been talking about it or and they might not even know that that's what they've been talking about for a year and an empath that's listening can point that out and say, yes, you've been talking about that for a year. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, and, and so to, I guess what you're saying is basically the way that that long processing looks like can be different for every single person. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think understanding your processing Mm -hmm. style, like some people need to verbally process things and they can, that's, so for me, when I see other people being able to process quickly, in my mind quickly, a lot of times that's verbal processing and they're kind of like thinking it through as they're saying it. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible. But I need to step away. So it might look like I'm slower processing. It might actually realistically be the exact same speed. I'm just taking my own time to think about it and they're saying it and thinking about it, if that makes sense. I've seen it happen and I'm like, this is amazing and I wish I had that skill, (laughs) but I do not. (laughs) Yes, that's what I'm saying. So I think like one, you know, one really, really kind of overarching takeaway theme, way to help yourself have more ease when navigating all this is to be really, really honest about your time and what aspects of your time you're giving to things that give you energy and what aspects of your time you're giving to things that take away your energy. And then sitting down and being like, what do I really want this time to look like? Um, because I think that's that's like where it kind of all begins. It's just being really like, someone used the word uh, time dilution with me or the expression time dilution with me recently. And I loved that. She was like, basically your time is being diluted when you do X, Y, Z. And I was like, that is a very nice way to say that. <laughs> um, so I think it's just being really honest with like, what things we're giving our time, what people we're giving our time, because time is energy. 
You said something, Emily, a few minutes ago that I thought was really powerful. And yet the way you worded it, you made it small. You said, keep small little tiny promises to myself, which I think is very important. I agree. I agree. Um, I don't think it's, I think that's a big thing. And maybe that's where we start with small little tiny promises to ourselves. But honestly, I want to keep big, great, big, important promises to myself. That's where I want to go. Yeah, I was using it in the example of like, for example, saying, oh, I'm not going to take on this. Let's just use, I'm not going to take on this client where for me, it might be easy for me to be like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. I'm just going to do it and do this project and get this thing over with. So that's an example. But you're right. It's not a small promise because it it's it could end up being, well, first of all, it could be, you know, you don't know what's on the other side of that promise. Um, so it could be much larger than you think. But it's also it's also very important to start with those things, no matter how big or how small. Empaths take their promises to their clients very very carefully, very thoughtfully, I believe. And also that would fit for the hypervigilant. We want to be able to do the same with ourselves. We need to be able to do the same with ourselves. Yeah, that's reminding me of the um, Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin, where she talks about obliging. I'm, I'm not going to get all of these right right now. I would have to be reading them. But she talks about being an obliger, being a person that upholds promises to yourself. And then there's there's two more. Um, but I think it's it's you have to do both. You have to hold promises for other people, but then you also have to hold the promises to yourself with that same weight. So, okay, wrapping up, um, do you feel like there's anything that we missed or that I didn't ask that that you think we should have touched on? Something's coming up real quick for in regard. It's it, We talked about like, what can you do? And this is a very, um, say, tactical strategy. I mean, it's very practical, um, but it worked for me at the beginning to not get soaked, um, it sucked down vortexes. Um, I, I had to determine early on because I am so mission driven and I, I love nonprofits. I love, you know, people that are, um, want to help themselves. And, and so I was giving away a lot of free work, um, and instead of looking at it that way, I said, okay, well, what could I do that's connected to my work that's philanthropic? And so I determined I'm going to take on two coaching clients. That's what I'm going to take on. I'm going to take on um, one nonprofit during this time, one a year, two a year, whatever. And I just, I just outlined, like, what can I commit to? And if they don't happen to fall into my life, they, they don't. But I, I had to set those very clear expectations of just numbers. I had to look at it from a number perspective and, and literally just hours, hours, numbers. This, this is what I can give back so that I felt like I was giving. I felt like I, I was being, um, you know, again, that empathy, that empathy pull of so many of us are in work that you know, everyone could need us really, you know, if you look at it that way and everyone's starting a business and so they could use all of these resources um, and they're all good people. And then that way I was feeling as though I was filling the, my bucket in regard to being mission driven and helping people, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't sacrificing that self-promise by, you know, and that was my number and I just stuck, stood to my number because again, it sounds very transactional, but it, it helped me just put some boundaries. So if you have to put numbers around things, um, do it. You know, if you, if you have to outline how many hours and just stick to that and, and track your time, do it. So I guess, that, again, it goes back to the systems piece, but um, it was something that, that's just very simple to, to start doing. Yeah. I, I love that. That that's fantastic. Like giving yourself a almost like a freebie fund you know <laughs> here's who I give freebies to here's how yeah. many people I give freebies to here's how much monetarily I give freebies to yeah because at the on the other side of it too I was starting to get involved in other organizations you know being on a board of directors for this or being on 
And those were sucking time out of me left and right too. And I was like, I can't, I can't do everything. So what can I do? What, and those had a lot of flex in regard to hours, right? It was supposed to be only two hours and then it turned into four and then it, you know, so what can I control? Um, and I think the, the downside of the empath sometimes is that if we don't set those boundaries and go back to ourselves, like some, some negative emotions can, can creep up, uh, resentment, bitterness, um, even, you know, I've even seen rage or jealousy come up, like, why are other people able to manage this and I can't, right? So um, really, and that's not where anyone should be when they're trying to give back to others. So I think, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, one thing I want to say is I think it one important thing for us to understand as all people is that whatever you give people are going to take. And it's not that they're doing it maliciously. They're not out to harm you or or hurt you. But when you just keep letting your boundaries get trampled and trampled and trampled and trampled, people are going to be like, great. They answer their phone at 1130 at night. This is perfect. Why wouldn't I call them at 1130 at night? You know, so it's like, it might not like that, like you said, like resentment can easily build up and we can start to get frustrated and annoyed at other people when really it's us, you know, and we're the one like we have to be in charge of putting those limitations into place because when you give somebody, what is the expression? When you give them an inch, they take a mile <laughs> and they don't mean, you know, I don't think people mean to do that. It's just like a natural tendency. And the, you know, the empath sees things, feels things that other people don't feel. So we also can't have the expectation that people are going to feel what you feel. That was another thing that set me up for for failure early where it's like, you know, can't you feel this? Aren't you listening to this person? <laughs> um, I would get frustrated with others' lack of ability to, to dial in. And whether that be like kind of radio listening, you know, like, wow, I just heard 17 sentences in between those two sentences, like whether it be body language or posturing or tone. Uh, and, and other people don't, don't have that um, necessarily. And so, again, it's a gift, uh, but it's also to try to, to have patience with and, and that you, you serve an important role. But again, it can, it can drain a lot of energy because you are picking up so much data um, and, and being responsible to sharing that data or helping others with that data. Um, but again, others, others don't see all of that. Um, so, you know, if you give people this, they'll take it. They also, um, sometimes they're not mind readers, um, or they don't necessarily have the empathy back to see that you are, um, maybe getting annoyed or maybe getting frustrated that you're, you know, so again, it's, it's your responsibility to, to Tammy, I think that in part was a good description of being an empath. So perhaps you're both an empath and hypervigilant. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I think I'm more of an empath now. I was early on hypervigilant um, because it, it was just a trauma response, but I hadn't centered myself around who I was. Um, so early on, I, 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 I was de defining myself as an empath. I'm like, no, no, no. And I, it, I think the difference was that I didn't, I didn't know why, um, why I, th those skills were there. Right. And, and so hypervigilance was like the first, the first kind of connection, but I, I've moved into that, to that empathy. Um, I want to mention the issue so, about yeah. negotiation empaths have a challenge. Yes. Either they have to really be aware of and work on and expand and strengthen their negotiation skills, or they can lose in negotiation. So that's a muscle that needs some exercise. And they need, or we need, or I need, ironclad boundaries to stay in a state of fair negotiation. Because if the other party doesn't have that same fairness, I'm not going to be in a good position. And on the board of directors side, 
I've probably done about 20 years worth of board of directors unpaid. So at some point fairly recently, a a switch got flipped. And now the only board of director assignments I'll accept are paid board of directors. So things can change over time. And yep, I've done my two decades. So now I have different rules. So uh, I guess on that note of negotiations, because I think that's one that if you're not experienced with it or you don't even really know where to start, it can be um, choppy waters to say the least. So what do you, do either of you have any resources that people can like find to help themselves in, in especially in negotiations, but in any area of navigating that? I've learned a lot from my clients who've had to strengthen their skills. So I've learned as I went. Same with me. I, I've learned from some of my clients, some business women, a very successful business when just watching them and actually in my negotiation with them as a client, which is really interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that they told me that st- it's like, you'll never know until you ask, what are they going to say? No. Uh, and I was like, uh, is it really that simple? And they were like, yeah, it's really that simple. I think for me, I had to, and this is only from my experience as a resource, because of the feeling piece of the, the impact, like the, all the emotion, I was bringing too much emotion into negotiation that if they said no, and this is, and again, I don't know if others feel this or am I the only empath that feels this, but if they said no, it was, oh, well, did they not, did they not like what I put down? Did they not like me? Did they change their mind? Like I went down this rabbit hole that was almost irrational around likability um, or, and again, that, that may have more to do with my saboteur and other things that, that I have in my past. But I had to say that if I'm out there negotiating my rates and what I deserve and what I need, guess who else is also doing it? They are. So this isn't, so if my empath comes out and I think about them and I think about what they need, that at some point, it's just both parties are trying to, um, get the best rate or get the, 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 the fairest, you know, the fairest rate or whatever that is. Some people, I think they manipulate the situation, um, where, you know, empaths have an advantage there because they can get a read on whether someone's just pushing the envelope. Um, but again, respecting other people's ability to push back and that technically that has nothing to do with you. So I had to take some of that emotionality that makes me a good empath. I had to take that out of it and learn how to take it out of, use the empathy in some cases, again, to tell manipulation, but then again, take it out of it and, and think about other people. That it's just what they're trying, they're trying to get their needs met too. I think I want to share like the smallest, and I'm hoping it applies, it, it sounds similar, but it's like tiny, tiny situation. So I've had a couple of clients that you know, they get a negative response to an email that they sent or a social media post that they posted, or maybe no one opens your email the first day that you send it out. Okay. And they've come to me saying like, what did I do wrong? How did I, you know, asking all the questions, like, what did I do wrong? And I just turned the question back on them and said like, what is, it doesn't have anything to do with you or what you did wrong. And I think that's what you're talking about. It's like, other people, especially when it comes to social media, like we can't take that, the reaction of other people to us personally, because like you said, they're all just out getting their own needs met at the same time and really not thinking about us very much at all. No, and it isn't exactly that. This this isn't, when negotiations, it isn't a slight to you if they come back with a lower number. It isn't that they don't that that you're less likable or pre, uh, appreciated, or that they don't like the the value that you bring necessarily. Um, you know, I tend I've learned it tend to go a little high um, that I'm even more uncomfortable comfortable sending and expect that they're going to retort back with a different number. Um, so that's a strategy. Sometimes it works to my advantage. Sometimes it doesn't. So I, I think that um, it's, I'm going to say it's a game. It's not a game. Um, it's, a, it, it's a muscle. To, to Hollis's point, it is a muscle. And you learn over time, you get more comfortable with it of like, 
this is this is what I'm shooting for. So this is what I'm going to aim earlier on. It, it, and it again, it's a strategy. Um, and there's certain phrases or sayings or, or sentences that I've learned in the negotiation process that have helped me that it sounds, again, as an empath, it's, it's a kinder way of saying things. Um, meaning there's some people in negotiation that are very blunt, very to the point. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I tend to be a little softer um, with my language. So I think that there's a variance in how you can nego- negotiate that doesn't put you in an, a misalignment issue for, do you know what I'm saying there? Like, like I've, I've negotiated with some people and they're like, yeah, that's not going to work. Like, you know, they're just very, very abrupt. and like, ah, like I would never say that. Um, but for me, I've had to communicate that same sentence in a different way that that's not one woman said to me once, um, yeah, we don't have an appetite for that right now. And I, I, I liked the, for some reason I was like, oh, that, 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 that took the sting out a little bit. It's, it's, it's so weird. It's like little words just don't, uh, or, or her word choice didn't sting as in, yeah, no, we're not, we're all good with that. Does that, you know, I know, I know I said I was wrapping this up, but I have another question. Do you notice that being like being mind being, um, sensitive to what other people say and what other people's language and how blunt other people are helps you to approach things in a way that you cushion or are more careful with what you're doing towards others for sure Uh, no i think i think they can be delightfully refreshing to be blunt and it teaches me that maybe there are situations where i can be more blunt as well it doesn't mean i have to be mean but i could be more direct Ooh, that was a nice diverse range of answers. I like it. I'm always so, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows this, but I'm always so careful about like not wanting to hurt anyone's feelings. And so I'm going to harness some of Hollis's um, need to be more direct. Especially with humor. Humor's a wonderful softener. All right. Well, thank you both for having this conversation with me today. I hope that people took away some practical things that they can do, but also some of the things that they can do to take a deeper look and work on over time. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. And good to meet you, Tammy. Thank you for having me. Nice to talk with you, Hollis, too. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.